We are continuing through this series in the book of Romans, and we're picking up back in Romans chapter 11, where we left off. And last week, if you guys remember, I told you about this, uh, watching this video of this volcano erupting in Hawaii and seeing the lava just kind of take over uh, the island. That was back in 2018. And again, I just want to go ahead and throw that out there. I am more than willing to go minister to the people of Hawaii, all right, if you are more than willing to send me, all right? So let's like, let's work together on that. But one of the things, remember, I talked about was watching the lava just, it was an unstoppable force that moved across the island and it swallowed everything in its path. And remember, we were talking about what Paul was showing us and what he has shown us from chapter 9 all the way through chapter 11 is that God's grace is an unstoppable force that is constantly on the move, swallowing people whole all the time. And so Paul, in this chapter, he's primarily concerned with the people of Israel, with his people, with the Jewish people, and and their hardness of heart towards the gospel, towards Jesus. And he's speaking to the Gentiles. But again, his primary focus is what is going on with my people? What's going on with the Israelites? And he introduces in chapter 11 this analogy about these olive trees being grown together or grafted together, which would have been a common practice that if there was a tree that was struggling to produce fruit, maybe you would take an olive tree that was very successful and you would graft them together. You would grow them together so that this new tree would, would invigorate this old tree and it would still be fed from the same roots. It'd be still fed the exact same way, uh, but it would bring in something new. And he says, that's the picture that we're seeing happen right now in history is that Israel, there are, there are branches of Israel that have been broken off because of their unbelief. And you Gentiles have been grafted in by your belief. But he says, this is not a time for us to feel superior. Like, oh, well, we figured it out. We're super spiritual we're really smart. No, no, no. You were grafted in through belief. That's it. Like you didn't graft yourself in. You didn't bring yourself into this promise. I brought you in. I grew you into this. And so it should bring us a lot of humility. In fact, he says, you are fed by the same roots, the same faithful uh, Israelites and the same uh, patriarchs that led the faith to where it is in this moment. That's how, that's whose backs we're standing on. That's whose faith we have, we have been brought into as as well, So it should lead us to a place of humility. But then Paul points out something wild. He says, look, the Israelites that have been broken off, they can be grafted back in. And that's what he says in verse 23. Let's look at it together. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Why? Because God's grace is an unstoppable force that is always ready to swallow people whole. But then he says something wild. Paul doesn't say that they can be grafted back in. He goes on to say they will be grafted back in. So let's look at that. Look at verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, that phrase right there, all Israel will be saved, is uh, it's it's a debated issue. It's it's something that Christians for the entire time since this was written has fought over. What does this mean? There's a lot of disagreement. Let me just tell you what I think it means. And you don't have to believe me. You don't have to agree with me. You you absolutely have the right to be wrong. But um, I think... (laughs) 
what I think this is talking about, I don't think this is talking about a spiritual Israel. Some people do that. They believe in this replacement theology that, oh, well, well, the new Israel, what he's talking about here is obviously it's the Gentiles and, the, and Israel together. It's the new church. We have inherited all the promises of Israel. I don't think so. I don't think that's what the context is at all. He hasn't referred to the Gentiles in Romans chapter 11 as Israel at all up until, uh, up until this point. And so I think he's talking about ethnic Israel. And I don't think he's talking about a universalism. We can't, we can't take that word all of Israel and believe that, oh, well, well just all, all Jewish people will be saved. He's already established that that is not the case. In Romans chapter nine, he made that very clear that that is not the case. It will have to be through belief. We just read it in verse 23. If they don't continue in unbelief, if they believe in Jesus, they will be brought back in. So I think what he's referring to is that there will be a large number, a majority of the nation of Israel, of ethnic Israel, that will come to faith in Jesus. Now again, some people say, well, maybe that will be one singular event. It'll be a generational thing that will happen right before our eyes. Maybe, or maybe it is a slow, steady growth of, of ethnic Israel coming to faith in Jesus. Either way, I think this is what Paul is pointing to. And Paul, again, illustrates how God is doing this through the prophets, through the Old Testament. He points us back. And so again, he tells us, as we just read, he tells us that what God is doing is that he has hardened Israel for a moment. Like as they've rejected God, as they begin to harden their hearts, he has hardened their hearts as well. Again, giving them over to their unbelief so that a number of Gentiles will come in, but the Gentiles, now that they have come to faith, God will use them in some way to reach the Israelites. And the summary of God's plan is this. Let's look at verse 32. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so you may have mercy on them all, right? So that's his plan. That's what he's been talking about since chapter nine, that, that he is allowing a disobedience to exist so that he can display his mercy to a group of people. And this leads us to a question of why. Why this path? right? Like, why are you doing, why allow this disobedience within Israel to save the Gentiles? Why not bring them back now? Why not break through their disobedience and redeem them now? Why is this something we're only looking forward towards? I would imagine that Paul, at this point, as he's writing it, he must have reached this point and had the same exact thought. Like, why is this the plan? Like, what, like, I, you could tell that Paul wants the people of Israel to be saved. He wants the redemption to happen right now. Now, he says it in, in, ver, in chapter nine, verse three, he says, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. And so he feels this pain for them, right? He wants this right now. And even as he wants this, he admits that this is God's plan. That, that right now, the people that he cares for the most and this group of people that he says, I would be cut off for them. Like he's admitting that this is not God's plan right now. What he wants is not what God wants. And this can lead us to some really painful places as we think about the people in our own lives. If, if God's grace is an unstoppable force, why has it not swallowed my father yet? Why is it not swallowed my sister yet? Why is it not swallowed up my children yet? Why is it not swallowed up my coworker? Why is it not yet swallowed up my best friend? Why is it not swallowed up the people that I love the most, the people that I would give my life for them to come to know Jesus? Why not? Why not yet? Why has the unstoppable grace of God not swallowed them up yeah, you know, Paul's response to this idea and to this question, to this idea, is really weird. Um, so when I was in high school, I worked at uh, Marble Slab Creamery, all right? You guys been to Cold Stone? 
all right? Like Marble Slab, superior, superior product, superior company. Anyway, I worked for Marble Slab, and uh, we had this manager, and uh, it was the same thing. Like, you would do the fixins and all this other stuff. And we had a manager who was really young. Um, she was really sweet. She was like 21, single mom, just trying to make it work. And she was really great at her job. But our boss, the owner of, of our little franchise, the franchisee, he was, um, he was tough. He could be a really tough guy. He was like, he'd come in all like, I, I think he'd go watch like Gordon Ramsay shows. And then he'd be like, that's leadership. And he'd come in, right? And he'd just yell at us. And he'd be like, ice cream, it's not cold enough, right? And then he'd be like, no, it's too warm. Like, you're cold like my heart, I don't know. He'd just like yell at us, right? Like he would yell and she, it would overwhelm her, right? It would absolutely overwhelm. She didn't come, you could just tell. She didn't have a house that was loud. You guys know like when you, when you grew up in a loud house, you hear yelling in, you know who grew up in a loud house because you hear yelling in public. People who grew up in a loud house, they don't even look up from their phone. You know what I mean? They're like, whatever, you know what I mean? But then you see the nervous people, that was her. She was nervous and it would get her like all upset. And she had the weirdest response to this, this nervousness she had. She would sing. Now, now, I don't mean that she would just like start singing a random song, right? Like he would come in yelling and she'd be like, what's love got to do? Right, like she wouldn't do that. It was more like, it was more like a musical. She would just start singing about what was happening, right? So he'd be like, everything here is dirty. And she'd be like, got to clean, got to clean, right? She'd just start doing that, right? And he'd be like, you're not good at your job. She's like, I'm gonna do better. Like she would just sing right and it was the weirdest and I remember just sitting there going like he broke her brain like I've never seen anything like it but he broke her brain when you look at Paul's response to this confounding truth to God's confounding plan here as he desires wholeheartedly for the people of Israel to come to faith and he's not seeing it he stops right after this verse and he like sings he writes this this song he takes a a praise break, if you will. And I wanna look at it together. Let's read all of it, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever Amen. This was Paul's response. As he, lo- as he looked at a group of people that he loved with all of his heart, and as he saw them not coming to faith like he wanted to see happen, this was his response. And so I would like for us to spend the rest of our time breaking this down, this, this song down, this, this moment of praise down through that same lens. As we look through it, I want you, as we look at it, I want you to look through that lens of the people in your life that you love right now, that you are pleading for them right now, that they would come to trust in Jesus, that they would allow the rescuer to rescue them. I want you to look at this song through that lens as well, thinking of them. So let's, let's go back to verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So it starts right there. He says, I'm, I've just got to start and praise God for the riches of his knowledge. Because Paul, Paul praises God because he goes, you know what? He knows. He knows everything. And as we look through the lens of the people that we care about the most, he knows about them. He knows right where they are. We go, but God, they're hurting. He goes, I know, I know. And we go, but God, I think they just need this. He goes, I know, 
I know exactly what they need, which is why he continues to praise God for the riches of his wisdom, right? And the riches of his wisdom means not only does he know, but he knows what's best. He knows exactly what to do. So we look at the people in our lives and we go, we go you know what? I think they need this. And, and God goes, I know exactly what they need. I know exactly what your child needs. I know exactly what your boss needs. I know exactly what your brother needs. I know exactly what your spouse needs. I know exactly what your father and your mother need. I know about all the people in your life that you love. I know exactly what they need. And that, that causes Paul to praise God. As he thinks about the people he cares about the most, he goes, you know what, God? I know that you know where they are. And I know that you know exactly what they need. He goes on, he says, because of this wisdom and knowledge, his judgments are unsearchable, his paths beyond tracing out. Whatever he decides to do with the people in our life that we love the most, it will be unquestionably the best path. Whatever he decides to do, whatever that path looks like will be unquestionably the best path. Why? Because the riches of his wisdom and the riches of his knowledge. He knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly what they need. And they're beyond our understanding at times. And that's where Paul is. Paul goes, I don't necessarily get this plan. He calls it a mystery, right? And he goes, but you know what? I trust your plan. Today, uh, we got to do the baby dedication and Gideon is still in the room and he's doing exactly what uh, some of you would like to do right now. He's asleep. Uh, and so the, I'll try my best. I'll talk quieter. Uh, but uh, it, it makes me think about my own kids. We, we, have, um, we have Google Home throughout our house. We have, we have a, it's a pretty smart house, all right? It's got glasses and everything. So we've got uh, Google Home all over the house and it's got screens, it's connected to our TV. And so we've got all of our photos uploaded to Google Photo. And you're like, you know, like that means government owns, I know, I get it, they own us, whatever. So we've got our photos there. And so it just displays random photos throughout the day on our TVs and on, and on the little devices all around our house. And can I show you a picture that popped up just the other day? Here, here it is right here. So these are, these are my twins. Uh, and this was them getting a checkup. And so just looking at themselves, look at those big old round heads, right? Just like big old round, just bald, bald babies. And so uh, also that is the smallest bow Piper ever had on her head. My wife would just give her just, I'm assuming just neck problems, uh, which she'd put these giant bows because she didn't have hair. And she was like, I want him to know it's a girl. And I'm like, yeah, I think the dress does that. All right. Like, I don't think you need that, but there they were. And it made me think about, when I saw this picture, it made me think about when uh, we brought them in for their first round of shots. I remember going in and we're sitting there and I'm holding Piper and, and the, the shot nurse comes in, which by the way, like what kind of person does that job? You know what I mean? Like everyone in the practice gets together and they go, okay, we need someone today to volunteer uh, to make all the babies cry. And uh, this person's like, I got it, right? Like I got it, I'll do that job. And they're like, okay, great. Thanks for doing that today. No, I just want you to know, I will do it every day. I want, to, I want to make all the kids cry. Every day of my life, that's what I want to do. And that's how I want to earn my 401k. Like why, like what type of person does that? But anyway, she, she comes in. I remember I'm holding Piper and she's, I'm holding her little chunky thigh and everything's fine. She just has that exact expression on her face. Um, and then just soup, you know what I mean? Like that needle hits her leg and she just looks at me. And I remember she can't speak at this moment, but her face just said, why, Papa? Right? You know what I mean? Like, it just looked at me like, you betrayed me, you know? Like, just how dare you? And she immediately, of course, cries. She turns to Angela and doesn't want me um, anymore. And so she, like, crawls over there. She had no understanding of, of this path that I had put her on, that this was actually a good path. She had no understanding. 
And Paul says his judgments and his plans, they're perfect. And they may be beyond our ability to comprehend, but they are not beyond our ability to trust. And then he goes on in the book of Romans to show, to show that through the history of the people of Israel. Look at Romans eleven thirty four. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. And so what he's saying is he doesn't need us or anyone to make the best decision for those that we love. Then he goes on to quote from Job in verse 35 from the book of Job. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? He has everything he needs to reach those that are far from him, to reach those that we love. And then Paul lands here in verse 36 that we've been praying in our confession for many weeks. Look at verse 36. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so I want to, again, look, looking through that, through the lens of salvation, that if all things come from God, then what we want for those people in our lives, their rescue comes from him as well. And so where does it come from? It starts, it says it's from him. We need to remember that their rescue, it starts with him and it ends with him. It is completely his work. A rescue is one-sided. That's what a rescue is. Um, I, I walk around all the time with uh, AirPods in. Like I always have AirPods in. And, uh, and sometimes, like I've, I just gotta be honest, sometimes I'm looking at my phone and I've absolutely stepped off of curbs. I didn't see, I've, I've done, you know, do you ever do that? You like step off a curb and you're in public and so you try to make it look like you meant to do it. You know, you like fall off and you're like, yeah, all right, all right. Like this is a good song. So I, I've done that before. My, my son coming in the other day, one Sunday, he, he's playing on the switch. And if you walked in those double doors, you know there's like a metal bar right in the middle. And so he never breaks stride. He just, coo, like his head hits it. The switch hits the ground. As you know, last week, that's where my switch typically goes is on the ground, right? Like he just never, he just never saw it coming and it changed his life, right? Like forever. I saw a video um, this week that I can't put up here because it makes me so nervous and it makes me sweat watching it, even though I know everything's okay. It's a video of a teenager and he's walking home from school. It's like a, it's like a CCTV, you know, black and white video um, he's walking home from school and he's got headphones in and he's on a train track. He's walking on a train track. And what you see around the corner is you see the train start to come. But he, he doesn't hear it. He's, he's on his headphones. And so then all of a sudden, out of this, just out of frame, comes this man, just out of nowhere. And he runs and he wraps him up and pulls him off of the track. I mean moments before that train barrels through where that boy had been. Now, that is a one-sided rescue. That boy didn't call to be rescued. He didn't go, could someone pull me off this track? I'm not paying attention. No, he didn't do that at all. He had no idea. When we think about rescue, God's rescue for us and God's rescue for the people in our life, it comes from him. It is a one-sided rescue. In Ephesians, it says that it's a gift. You can't take credit for that. It's something that God brings to us. In Romans 5, 8, he makes it even clearer. He said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't love him, while we hated him, while we weren't calling for him or looking for him, he started the rescue. He came for us, right? So you may say, my husband isn't calling on him. God can still break through into his life. My child isn't looking for Jesus. God can still find them. Like the person that I love the most doesn't want to be rescued. God can still start the rescue in their life. In Romans chapter 11, in verse one, who's the example? Paul. 
Paul is the example of someone being rescued. What is Paul's story? He was not looking for Jesus. That is Paul's story. Paul was not looking to be rescued. He didn't need to be rescued. He had it all figured out. He had his path towards God. He didn't need that. And Jesus found Paul. And so the the reality is all salvation comes from him. And so the people in our lives who are far from him, who we love, God can rescue them because it doesn't start with the people that we love. It starts with him. It starts with Jesus. And so his unstoppable force of grace can absolutely still be for the people in our lives. It also says, let's go back to, um, to the verse, for from him and through him and through him. So from him and through him, all salvation is accomplished through him. How are we saved? Through him. He does it. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. How, do, how, do, how are we saved? How are we made right with God? Not at all anything we bring to the table. All we bring to the table is sin. All we bring to the table is brokenness. He says, I will take your wrongness and I will give you my rightness, right? It is through him. It is completely his work. I had this idea growing up in church, we would, we would always end every service the same. And if you went to a Southern Baptist church, you know what I'm talking about. We'd always end the service with an, uh, someone walking the aisle. That, that was what we, we'd always end with like, if you wanna come give your life to Jesus, walk this aisle, right? And one of the things, that, and it was a wonderful thing, but one of the things that I got kind of twisted up in my brain, which is no one's fault but my own, but I, I got twisted up in my brain that, you know what, what that means is, as they walk that aisle, they're, they're giving up everything. Because they would say that. They'd say, you'd repent, you turn from everything, and you come to Jesus. So, so they're letting go of all of the messiness of their life. That when they walk forward, they're walking forward in freedom. There aren't addicts walking forward. No, 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 they've let go of that life. There aren't people overwhelmed with anger walking forward. No, 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 they've let go of that life. There's no one coming to Jesus who's filled with anxiety because you can't. You gotta let it all go. And I had this idea that, that we had to p- clean ourselves up in some way and that our trade was a little bit fair than this trade, right? Like, God, I'm gonna bring you my best. And that is not what this says, not at all, right? And when you think about Jesus, he ate with tax collectors. And what did people call the other people he ate with? Sinners. And what is that word? It's just a polite way for them to say the worst people we can think of. That's who Jesus hung out with, right? That's who he hung out with. He didn't tell them to clean themselves up. He came to them. Why? Because the rescue for them was through him. It was the work he's doing, not the work they're doing, right? And and so you think about his disciples, they were a mess. Like, think about this for a second. Peter hung out with Jesus for three years and still cut a dude's ear off at the end of it, right? Like in this stressful situation, he's like, I know what to do, Uh, hurt somebody, right? And Jesus is like, Peter, right? Like, just like, come on, man, right? Like, that is the reality. All salvation is accomplished through him. And so you may say, my family member, they just can't get their life together. They've tried over and over again and they can't do it. That's okay, they can come to Jesus just like that. My coworker has more questions than answers. They can come. My son is angry. He can come. My daughter is anxious. She can come. My friend is so full of doubt. They can come. They can come to Jesus because salvation is not brought from anyone else. It is accomplished through Jesus and Jesus alone. In 2018, I went to a conference um, in Atlanta and there was a speaker there named Danielle Strickland and she told this story that I've never forgotten, that, that truly changed my life and I wanna tell it to you. So um, she was a volunteer with the Red Cross and she had been asked to officiate um, uh, uh, a wedding 
And uh, the, the two people who were getting married, they wanted to get married in the place that they had met. Well, they had met doing this work. They had met in this ministry that was mainly focused on taking care of drug addicts on the street and people who were HIV positive because of their drug use on the street. And so they met in an alley. That's where they met. They met in an alley caring for these people. And so they wanted to get married in that alley. And so she went, gross. But okay, so they went in and she said it was a disgusting place but they went in with a power washer and they cleaned it all out and they brought in flowers and they had a string quartet playing and they had a flower girl who was spreading uh, just rose petals all the way up this alley. And what happened was the bride and the groom and the wedding party, they started blocks and blocks away. And on their way to this alley, they stopped at every drug addict, every homeless person and everyone on the street. And they said, we're getting married today and you're invited. Please come, come to the wedding, come, you're invited. And so they fill up this this alley with all of these people to see them get married. Well, Danielle is standing in the middle of the alley and behind her is a dumpster, right? It's an alley still. Behind her is a dumpster and she's, she's doing the ceremony and they're halfway between the vows and behind her, she hears something in the dumpster start moving around. And so she turns around and she said, the, the lid just opens up and a head pops up. Just a guy pops up and he just looks around. He said, just imagine what was going through his mind, right? <laughs> like imagine the night before he had, he had gone on some sort of bender and he ended up in, this, in this, this, this dumpster. He may not even remember falling asleep in this dumpster and he, he raises it up and there's a wedding. She said he just said two words, holy and then a word that's not so holy, right? And then he <laughs> disappeared back inside of the dumpster. Well, they finished the ceremony. And after they finished the ceremony, the reception was set up on the other end of the alley. And so the the entire group of people they had gathered all walked down there to the reception. She goes back over to the dumpster and she knocks on it. Excuse me, Oscar? Because his name had to be Oscar. Oscar? (laughs) And he, he pops up and she says, I just want you to know, this is real. And he said, what? And she goes, this is real. You're not high right now. This isn't a delusion. This is real a wedding here there's reception here and you're invited you're invited there's 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 food and there's people to celebrate with and there's people to love you and and all of that is for you you're invited that is the kingdom of heaven it's a wedding in an alley It's a wedding in an alley that is inviting all of the drug addicts and it's inviting all of the people who have been crushed by everyone in their life. It's inviting all of them. It's not telling them to get cleaned up. It's not telling them to go through some sort of, and put on airs for this or to pretend like something they are not. That is the kingdom of heaven. Saying come, because salvation is not through us. It is through him. We don't need to bring anything to the table. So you go, my life is a mess. You're invited. You're invited into the kingdom of heaven just like that as a mess. You say, there, my family is broken. You're invited. You say, my father is, 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 has so much brokenness in his life. He's invited. You say, my children have so much just, just brokenness and scars and consequences. They're invited. You say, the people that I love the most, they're, they're just a complete mess. They've been torn apart by greed. They've been torn apart by terrible relationships. They're invited because salvation does not come through any of them. It comes through Jesus. It comes through the one who set the table for us. It, came, it comes to the one who brought us to that wedding. We're invited. And so we can go with hope for the people in our lives. I don't need the people in my life 
to try to get it together. I need the people in my life just to come to Jesus. That's all we need because it's through him. And it's also, lastly, it's for him. Why are we saved? Because he wants to save us. Because he wants to rescue us. That means that he wants our rescue more than we want it. And that means that for the people in our life, he wants their rescue more than we want it. And 1 Timothy 2, 4, look at what it says. Who desires, talking about God, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Not a certain type of person, but all people. All people. The dude in the dumpster, yes. That, that brother of yours, yes. Right? Like that friend of yours, yes. He desires all of those types of people. He wants to rescue your children more than you want them to be rescued. He wants to rescue your spouse more than you want them to be rescued. He wants to rescue your brother or your sister more than they want to be rescued and you want to be rescued. And the cross proves it. Look at 1 John 2. What does it say? Or 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He gave his life for us. For us, can I be honest? Sometimes I have to wonder, God, why? Why do I care so much for those people in my life who are far from God? They've made their decision. They don't want you. Why do I have to, why do I have to want something they don't want? Like why? Because it hurts, right? It hurts. When you look at people in your life that you love and they're searching and they're clawing for, for meaning and they're searching and they're clawing for rescue and they can't find it. And you're going, it's, it's right here. It's right here. You don't have to be anything you're not. You don't have to be good enough. It's right here and they don't take it and it hurts to love people like that. And I go, why? why? Like, why? Why do I have to love like this? I, I, I think here's why. When we love like that, we, we've been given something incredible in that moment. Now we've been given the heart of Jesus for people. Like that's God's heart. There's this, this crazy moment in the life of Jesus where he, he's riding into Jerusalem and he stops. And he looks over the city. And what Luke tells us is that he weeps. He weeps over the city. Not, not crying, not like a dramatic one single tear, none of that. No, 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 like he weeps over the city. And, and, and Luke tells us what he says, and Matthew does too. And I, I wanna tell you, look at what Matthew says in Matthew 23. This is what Jesus says. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not Willing. Can you imagine Jesus in that moment? Tears streaming down his face, trying to catch his breath, and he says, I just wanted you. I just want to rescue you. I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to be far away. I just want you. I want to gather you in, and you won't have it. That is the heart of Jesus. Your heart may hurt for those in your life because the heart of God hurts too. And so you may absolutely care for those in your life, but he cares even more. I hope that that gives you some rest to know that God cares even more for the rescue of those that you love and that you care for. Paul lands here. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's all him. So he gets the credit. It is all from him. It is all through him. It is all for him. So he gets it all. God, to you be the glory for the work that you're doing. And so here we are. Paul leaves it to God. He's faced with this difficult, God, this plan you have is not my plan. And he leaves it to God. I think we should do the same. For the people that we love the most, we should bring to the Father the most. And we should leave it there.
I, I pray for the people in my life. I, I care. The top of my list are my children. Are my children. I pray that God would capture their heart, that they would stay in relationship with him, that he would make them, as we prayed for Gideon today, that he would make them men and women of God. That's what I pray for. And you know, I, I, um, my kids, I don't know if you know what I do for a living. It's this. And so uh, that, you know, that means, that means my kids are preacher's kids, right? And there's like a, a, a reputation that goes with preacher's kids, that they're super rebellious and difficult and terrible, blah, right? Whatever. I know that in this congregation, we have preacher's kids. I know we have people who grew up with their parents as preachers. I'm not gonna raise you, ask you to raise your hand, but I know who you are. And I know that is true. You're terrible, right? But no, 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 but no. But here's my point. I, I, as much as you worry for your kids, I worry for mine too. And as much as you pray for your kids, I pray for mine too. And can I give you this prayer that the way that my prayers for other people, and especially my kids, always ends when I pray towards the sin, when I pray that, that God would open their eyes to see him as supremely valuable and as supremely precious and worthy of their entire life. Like I plead and I plead and I plead heaven for them. And then I always end the same way. Maybe this prayer will help you as well. And, and here's the end of that prayer. They're in your hands and so am I. They are in your hands and so am I. I only stand before God because of his grace towards me and they will only stand before God because of his grace towards them. And I rest it there and I leave it there. I love for us as we close to pray for those in our lives that we care deeply about that are far from God. And I love us to pray this together. So, so if you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's, let's pray together. I want you to think about that person, whoever it is, or those people, maybe like you, it's, maybe it is your kids. Maybe, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it is your spouse, maybe it's a, another family member. I, I, I think you should absolutely ask God to step in. God, would you step in? We recognize that their salvation, it's from you, it's through you, and it's for you. And so God, we, we ask you to do what only you can do, to step in and rescue the person we love so much. But God, ultimately what we have to say is that they are in your hands and so are we. We trust you with it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.